This Dharma talk was recorded live at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. If you enjoy these talks and wish to support the temple and its offerings, please visit austinzencenter.org. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Good morning. It does feel like a refuge today to be here with you all. So thank you for coming. I think I wanted to uh, say something about this teaching of Dogen. Dogen, for those of you who are new, is our medieval Japanese founder who started this whole enterprise we call Soto Zen, Japanese Soto Zen, in the 13th century of the Common Era, which is also the Western medieval period, strangely enough. He lived from 1200 to 1253, so he died young. And uh, Dogen brought the kind of Zen we practice from China and uh, planted it in Japan, and it it, it took uh, it took a while for it to take, and it went through many vicissitudes, um, but it survived, and it's still practiced in Japan today. And it was brought by Japanese teachers to the United States in the 19 well, mostly in the 1950s, um, which is when our immediate founder Shunryu Suzuki, whose portrait is out there started the San Francisco Zen Center. That's the very simplified version. Um, so Dogen began practicing with his monks, his, uh, his ordained monastic followers, also after many vicissitudes, at a very remote monastery that had been founded by a benefactor of his, had been paid for uh, by a benefactor up in the in northern Japan, where how people should live and practice together about this time. And here it is. <laughs> uh, the Eihei Shingi, Dogen's Pure Standards for the Zen Community. Um, this was translated by two scholars in our lineage, uh, Taigen Dan Layton and Shohaku Okamura, 20 or so years ago, and it's still in print. And if you really want to dig into the guts of Dogen's teaching about how to practice together monastically, you can borrow it from our library or download it. I think it's probably available online. And in this collection uh, is the very famous, for those of you who may have already encountered it, essay called Instructions for the Cook, the Tenzo Kyokun. That's the first one, the first essay. So he, he talks, he, his first essay is about how the, the head of the kitchen is supposed to practice. And he doesn't have an essay about how the abbot is supposed to practice, right? <laughs> the kitchen is the heart of the of the monastery, so that sort of sets the, the stage. But the second, there's six parts basically to this set of instructions. The second one is called Bendo Ho, which is the can be translated as the model or the Dharma for engaging the way, right? for for actually engaging with it, doing it what we might call doing it. And that's followed by the Hushuku Han Po, which is the Dharma for receiving food. This is a whole essay about how to use your monk's bowls and so on. And then how to organize the monastery and its administration. So he laid this out in great detail. 
But in this first essay, the Bendo Ho, this model or dharma for engaging the way, he has this saying or teaching. And in Japanese, it's Dojo Daishu Ichinyo. Dojo Daishu Ichinyo. And <clears throat> I don't actually know Japanese, but I can fake my way through the dictionary. And um, what this literally means uh, is motion or activity, stillness. So it's like kind of paratactic. It's like one thing after the other thing after the other thing. There really isn't much syntax in this. Motion or activity, stillness, or we could say quiet or silence. Stillness, silence, I'll choose that one. The daishu, the multitude or the great Sangha would be in, in Sanskrit, we would say Maha Sangha, great Sangha. And then this word or compound word, Ichi Nyo, Ichi means one, and Nyo means likeness or thingness. So put it into something like English, in motion or in activity, in stillness or silence, the oneness of the great Sangha, the oneness or the sameness of the great Sangha. So I'll read you just a paragraph from this. You get a taste of how he talks if you're not familiar. All Buddhas and all ancestors are within the way and engage it. Without the way, they would not engage it. This is typical Dogen. The Dharma exists and they appear. Without the Dharma, they do not appear. There, when the assembly is sitting, sit together with them. So these are his instructions. As the assembly lies down, lie down also. In activity and stillness at one with the community. That's the same. That's this dojo daishu ichinyo. This is how Leighton and Okamura translate this. In activity and stillness at one with the community. Throughout deaths and rebirths, do not separate from the monastery. Standing out has no benefit. Being different from others is not our conduct. This is the Buddha's and ancestors' skin, flesh, bones, and marrow, and also one's own body and mind dropped off. Therefore, engaging the way is the practice enlightenment before the empty kalpa, like that just means endlessly, beginningless and endless. So do not be concerned with your actualization, your enlightenment. It is the koan, say the, the puzzle, the question. It is the koan before judgments. So do not wait for great realization. So that's the paragraph within which this phrase appears. So how do we understand this? <laughs> we're not in a monastery and we're not all monks and we're not all young men, young Japanese men, many of these monks were. 
So partly this is a, a kind of um, exhortation to harmonize with the schedule and drop your preferences. Right? Just do it, you would say, right? The Nike slogan of Zen, just do it and see what happens. So you could read it on that level as an exhortation. Zazen begins at this time, be there and sit with the community, right? And this phrase about when, other, when everyone else is lying down, lie down. The original way of practice was everybody got one ton. That platform that I sit on is half a ton. Okay, got like one ton's worth of space. You sat there, you slept there, you ate there, and you stored your clothes at one end of it and your bowls. And so that was your only space that you could say is mine and your name was on it, right? So they did everything together. They slept in the same room. They all turned over and slept on the same side. If you can believe that, at least they started that way, right? Everything was designed to create this one body, they call it, one body practice. But obviously in our time, especially and in our society, that's a pretty tall order. <laughs> so what I'd like to invite us to do, and maybe we could talk about this right now for a little bit, is how do we understand one body when we quite clearly all have different bodies? We have older bodies. We have bodies, some bodies that are very flexible and some that are not. We have bodies that are injured. We have bodies that are unused to sitting on the floor. We have bodies that maybe would prefer to be walking around right now. So how do we balance this? How do we find oneness in our diversity? And that's kind of the theme of this practice period, which is the harmony or equalizing or balancing of unity and difference. Um, Let me read one more little thing that Dogen says before I ask you again, how do we understand this? A little bit later in this, Dogen says, from ancient times, people who study Buddha Dharma, that includes all of us, have either resided alone in grass huts, right, hermits, sometimes that sounds good, <clears throat> hermits, <laughs> or else they practice with others. People who reside alone are often haunted by various demons and spirits whereas those who practice together rarely are disturbed. This is obviously an advertisement to come to AHG and work with him, right? Before having clarified the passageways and blockages within the Buddha way, right? So it's not easy, there are challenges. He says, it is vain and extreme folly to maintain a solitary dwelling. Always practicing the way by staying day and night on the long platform, which is everybody in the monastery sitting on a platform. The whole room is lined with these platforms. Staying day and night on the long platform with everybody else. Demons cannot disturb us and evil spirits cannot haunt us. Truly, we are good spiritual friends and excellent companions. And a modern uh, Japanese priest scholar named Kenshu Sugawara comments on this passage. The wonderful power of harmonious assembly is called miraculous power of the great assembly. So what do you think? 
connected in silence is my first thought. Yeah, I like the balancing of silence and activity in this passage because I think we feel like we're connected by our words a lot. We communicate our pain, our grief, our happiness, our thoughts, you know, using mostly words. That's where we're the talking animal. Um, and there's a great teaching of Dogen that I'm going to talk about next week about the ability to speak. Because uh, he, his, his basic point is people say that, you know, Zen is beyond words and scriptures. And he said, that's like a misunderstanding. It's also the ability to communicate the Dharma with words and without. Yeah. So I hand up some more. Yes? Um, do you think that spending all of your time together like that, if they were young people, young men, was that replacing their family that they had left? Yeah. I mean, he basically says, this is the way that we practice. You know, we give up, quote unquote, worldly affairs, which includes, you know, if you're a celibate male monk or a celibate female monk, for that matter, they were what are often referred to as nuns, but they practice like the, uh, the men, separately from the men, but they practiced <clears throat> like men, same kind of schedule. Yeah, they had decided that the community was basically their family. And so, yeah, that's giving up quite a bit, and not everybody can do that or should do that. Dogen isn't saying everybody, you know, leave home. In fact, he says it's easier for people who stay home it's easier, it's equally possible for people who stay home to practice. So you can't, we don't leave behind our human condition because we renounce our jobs, you know, <laughs> or all the other things we think are so hard and difficult, like, ah, get me out of this hubbub, right? We, we tend to find that our suffering follows us wherever we go. So sitting down with it, is kind of the, the real admonition. Sooner or later, you stop running. I think there's oneness in that, in the recognition that we all, at its base level, have similar human experiences. Yeah, and when we sit together, we support each other in being still and creating refuge for each other in this effort that we have. Yeah. Just, there was that bit in there about not sticking out and being kind of unconcerned with one's own enlightenment. And that, like, I think for any of us who've grown up in a very individualized Western culture, is very uncomfortable, this idea, don't be different, don't stick out. Yeah. And it actually, like I was exercising yesterday and I had this moment where I felt a lot of relief because I realized like I'm never gonna teach something new to anybody. <laughs> and there was like a lot of peace in that sense of like my teachers before me have done everything that needs to be done. The work is finished. And I feel like um, there's a real sense of unity when we connect with that like stream of ancestral teaching and stream of like consciousness that 
that comes to us from from so many places. And I feel like that's where I really feel the Sangha body is here in this room, but everywhere we all go, we're carrying that stream with us. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I also want to say that Dovin frequently says, and, and teachers in our school frequently say, that the ancestors only practice through us. There is no like past. They're here. Mm-hmm. You know, so close that they say, you know, you're entangling your eyebrows with theirs. <laughs> so without us doing the practice, there is no practice. Right. Yeah. So that's a really important point. It's up to us now. We're at one Buddha and one ancestor. So yeah. yeah. And then. Um, I was thinking about how we have this it's almost like aesthetic preference for harmony and for beings and uh, elements in our environment moving together, like the watching synchronized dancing, for example, or grass in a field, moving in the wind, um, and how this synchronicity in our forms is also, there's um, something that it's I think touches and addresses that those other um, synchronized movements that we see or feel also touch. Yeah, there's there are uh, you know 100,000 grasses, right? All individual blades, all just a little different, even though we say, oh, it's that species, or you know, right? But they do move together. You know, you can hear the trees right now leaves there's they're all individual leaves but they belong to a tree and the trees are all moving according to their own way so yeah part of this is training ourselves in a very physical way to discover that or rediscover that because we live up here so much and we we've got we highly value what we think and we highly value our memories you know we think that's our individuality is it's all up in here and so this is kind of like appreciating our unity with each other and as well as our difference and dissolving that uh, false dichotomy that it's the difference that's important. We don't ignore the difference. We cherish and embrace the difference, but we see it as a full expression of the unity. Each thing, each person, each each animal, each rock, each plant. I've just been out in the landscape that took two million years, you know, to be created. It was amazing, really, truly amazing. Uh, I want to read one more little thing from Dogen, um, which is uh, actually this is from the, the scholar Sugawara. Um, so I'm going to read his commentary on the, this line. He says, "Zen practice is not." capital M, not, to try to have an effective practice based on one's own criteria and to clarify the great matter ahead of others. So this is that kind of like not standing out part, right? It is better if we just practice totally surrendering our body and mind to the activities of the Buddhas and ancestors without doing something different from other practitioners. But he also says, so this is like, it sounds like, okay, beat your, you know, beat your ego down, <laughs> right? Um, but he says, 
to arouse a mind of clinging based on the egos, like, oh, why do we get up and have to sit at six? Why can't we sit, sit at seven or eight or nine in the morning? Right? That's an example. It can be said to be private, private as an individual, or private inclinations. And he says the expressions opposed to this are public or for the sake of the public. So he's contrasting the English terms public and private. But Dogen considers this subject of the public and the private many times in the, uh, this essay on the um, standards. For example, he writes that the director's job, right? So he has, there's six officers of a, of a monastery and one of them is the director. The director's job is fulfilled for the sake of the public, right? So he says, to say, Dogen, this is, to say that for the sake of the public means without acting on private inclinations. Acting without private inclinations is contemplating the ancients and yearning for the way. To yearn for the way is to follow the way. So read the Shingi, the, the guidelines, and understand as a whole, understand them as a whole, and then act with your determination in accord with the way. So this relates to the teaching of saving all beings, basically. We take food, we give food. Everything we do is a circle. It's a complete circle. That's why the, these regulations de-emphasize personal preference and say, don't stand out. And you know, people get jobs in the monastery. For a while, you're the director. For a while, you're the Eno. For a while, you're the Tenzo, the head of the kitchen. For a while, you're the abbot. But that's not really you, it's a role. And you know, it's another big circle. So don't mistake the role for you. <laughs> so it looks like some people stand out. I mean, obviously I'm sitting up here on a platform and I'm dressed differently and I've got this stick, what I do with my stick, right? I've got all these things, but I'm just practicing along with you and maybe trying to say some things that are helpful or give you a chance to help yourselves. Anything else? Oh, Eric and then Don. Um, I was just thinking of uh, the thought of those of uh, not two, not one. Yeah. Yeah, that's one way that we sometimes try to express this, that you don't want to get stuck in oneness, like it's all one thing. That's not quite it. But if we stick to division, which we're, we're kind of wired that way, yes, no, right, wrong, this, that, right? If we can collapse that and just not get caught by either one. It's not two things, it's not one thing. Somehow it incorporates both those concepts and understanding that as an experience rather than a, an idea. Yeah, you can experience that. Don. Yeah, um, this discussion really brings home to me how valuable I view our um, day-long sits and our session, etc. Um, and I look at it like when I come in the door for a regular Saturday, it's such a marvelous opportunity to drop all those thoughts and all those concerns. Um, that I, everyone in this room has about life um, 
do I need to put gas in the car? Do I need to do this? What's on my schedule for today, for this week? What are these pressures at work? I mean, it can go on forever, right? And we bring all that with us, carrying it around. When we come in the door, I think about it as dropping that, and that opportunity to drop that. And so some of that difference I'm releasing, and that's just in sitting for a short time on a Saturday. And then on session or a day long, it's even more of an opportunity because then I don't have to worry about what I'm having for lunch or <laughs> what, you know, anything. I know where I'm sitting, I just go sit. And so there's even greater opportunity to release all those many things that burden us um, in our normal day that we just have to deal with, whether it's a joy or a burden for that matter. And so dropping away is uh, something that really resonates with me. Um, well, no, we're not a monastery, but we have that uh, joy to be able to drop away every time we come in the door and every time we sit. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah, thank you. It's a great advertisement for all these sittings. <laughs> weekend sittings, and we have a week-long retreat in December at the end. So. Uh, I also realize most people in the world can't give up a week, but you can give up some days, maybe, or some hours. Um, but if you can, if you can drop into a, a multi-day um, session, even if you only do a day or two or three, uh, it, it's a kind of additive process. But I have to say, it's not a straight line. It's like day one, you know, you're struggling with your list of things to do. And day two, it's less difficult. And day three, it's great. And day four, it's even better. It's kind of like, <laughs> it's a lot of ups and downs, at least my experience. Um, but part of what we do, we do it together. It's really hard to do alone. Has anybody ever tried to sit a retreat, like even a day long, completely alone? And? Hard. Because <laughs> you can always just say, I'm done. I'm going to have a cup of coffee now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Or you, I mean, you know, like sitting at home for half an hour, 25 minutes, that's enough. <laughs> Ding. When I was a kid, my mother would set an egg timer to get me to practice the piano, right? Mm. And I would, you know, like finish some piece and I would like run to the egg timer <laughs> so that it would go off. And she said, was that 30 minutes? I said, yeah. Kind of went on and on. <laughs> and I like to play the piano, but I was bored with practice. You know? So it's a great opportunity without judgment. I really want to emphasize this without judgment to just watch what your mind does and make friends with it. And don't let it bother you. Right? Don't let it be the boss of you. I want to, um, just in connection with this, and then we'll, we'll stop. As I promised, we wouldn't go on too long. But um, there's a, a collection that, Do that Dogen made of koans. They mentioned uh, this koan business. Um, these are stories. They're teaching stories. Usually, they're about encounters between a teacher and a student, or two teachers or two students. They're almost always, you know, a, a, some kind of conversation or some exchange. So Dogen made his own collection of these, 300 of them, 
and they were translated not too long ago. Uh, Okamura also had a hand in this. And this is number 206 um, in short. So Master Shiti, this is a uh, Chinese Zen master before Dogen's time, Shiti asked his attendant monk, you there, where have you been? And the monastic said, the monk said, I went to the monk's hall and I had a meal because it was time to do that, right? <laughs> Rang the bell, time to eat. The master said, do you think I don't know that you went to the hall and had a meal? <laughs> and the attendant said, well, what else could I have said? You asked me a question, where have I been? And the master said, I was asking you about the essential matter. Right, so there's always these questions are tricky. When a teacher asks you something simple like that in the Tang Dynasty, there's always an ulterior motive. Right? <laughs> so the monk, the attendant monk said, if you ask me about the essential matter, birth and death, I say I went to the hall and I had a meal. <laughs> and the master said, you didn't miss it. That's why you are my attendant. <laughs> so here's a commentary by the ancient compiler of these koans. Hearing this master's comment to his attendant has caused many Zen practitioners to conclude that the essential matter of Zen is taking a meal or chopping wood and carrying water. Right? These very simple activities which we say are Zen. So we do say that they are Zen. But according to this commentary, this kind of understanding is nothing more than the self-styled notion of everything I do is Zen. Nothing could be further from the truth of the rightly transmitted Dharma of the Buddhas and ancestors. Right? So damned if you do, damned yeah. if you don't, don't get caught. <clears throat> the essential matter of Zen is not just about feeding the mouth and filling the belly. It's about feeding the mouth and filling the be belly of all beings, sentient and insentient alike. How do you do this? Take the backward step and study the self thoroughly. When we study the self thoroughly, we understand others thoroughly as well. Right? You find yourself. Sometimes through activities that you're doing together, you find yourself in all things and in all others. The commentary says, as a result, self and others merge in a single thusness. Just this is it. The essential matter of Zen is the complete merging of all dualistic opposites, sacred and mundane, self and other, taking a meal and giving a meal, saving the self and saving all sentient beings are a single reality. The sacred activity of non-doing, where you don't make stuff up, is the hallmark of the Zen school. It is not the same as ordinary consciousness. So if I say, well, I'm going to take a nap and that's Zen, right? That's ordinary consciousness. Mm -hmm. Commentary says, when it rains, you open an umbrella. If you don't have an umbrella, you get wet. Mm. When sleep comes, you close your eyes. When someone hurts, you feel the hurt. If they fall, you pick them up. When you take off your shoes, you feel your feet on the floor. If you still miss what's being said here, then you must take up the search deep in the night. 
how else will you ever attain unity? That's actually, I think, uh, the modern commentary on this koan, not the ancient one. It's probably uh, Taigen and Okamura. So I wanted to say these things today to just uh, encourage you in whatever way you can, it's an open invitation and it's a sincere one, to see what you can do during practice period to be with other people. And some of you will find that really difficult and challenging because of your obligations and schedules, but they are, could you hold it? Thank you. But they are also your life. As much as possible, even if it's like just come on Saturdays or come to the full moon ceremony, where you can join with the community, whoever show in the communities, whoever shows up. So it's you. And feel the power of the assembly. Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. They are the triple treasure. Can't have anyone without the others. But the Sangha relies on you. You are the Sangha. Thank you very much.